listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello, hello. Father Tim Grumbach is here with me over the airwaves via phone today because we're all in this lockdown because of the coronavirus. But we have an action-packed show for you today. We're going to be talking about even things such as why is this there this crisis of people leaving places like California in droves? Do you know that 50% of Californians are talking about leaving? And I know you may be in another another state and you're thinking, well, I wonder why. Or maybe you love California and there's a little bit of a luster to California. For you, we're going to be getting into that and what can be learned as relevant both to the coronavirus and kind of um, just prudence in terms of how we live our lives in the state of living. We'll also be talking about a heroic priest who has died, making a major sacrifice for another in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. Father Tim Grumbach of Saint Augustine Parish in Los Angeles is with me here today on Trending. Again, thanks for being with us, Father Tim. It's always such a joy to be here. And, you know, we're looking at a lot of things shutting down and locking down around us. But uh, uh, it's amazing that we can still do this. I love that technology gives us the opportunity to uh, keep looking at the way the world is moving around. Something's interesting, I think, that's happening that is so good. I think this is great. We are seeing, you know, just yesterday I was driving around. My mom said she was seeing it over the weekend. Parents riding bikes with their kids. I'm seeing parents hanging out in the driveway, you know, drawing chalk with the little ones. I've seen whole families walking with a basketball to a basketball court. I mean, we are seeing families out and about and more engagement with children in ways that we haven't seen, as I recall, really since I was a child or even before then. Yeah, I think they're going to be locking down a little bit on some of the activities that families can do and and moving around, especially here in Los Angeles. But I've noticed the same thing over the last week or so, especially as I hit the mountain bike trails up above Los Angeles, is that there have been a lot of people on the trails. And that's a great thing to see. And I'm always thinking, you know, I'm glad you're out here. But uh, on the mountain bike, uh, we know these trails quite well. We might get going a little bit fast. We're going to be keeping this as safe as possible. But we need you to get your face out of your phone and your, your earphones and just kind of be aware of what's happening around you. And so it's, it's great to see new people out there, but we want to keep it safe. And, uh, you know, actually Los Angeles has just changed some of the rules. They've closed some beach parking lots. They've closed a lot of parking lots to hiking trails. And they're just trying to uh, keep people from um, congregating too much on these trails and at the beaches. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons we're here in California, isn't it? And that's why we, we call it our home. It's because of how beautiful it is year round. And unless it's amazing the, thing that people are And I'm sorry, but unless the bikers are yeah. hogging the trails and the roads, Father Tim, you and I are going to have to diver on this one. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I I am both a surfer and a cyclist. I am on both sides of this battle. I get it. I don't know. You just showed your colors pretty clearly. Oh my gosh, this is like a whole yeah. other topic about bikers not sharing the road. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I'm against those cyclists as well. But, um, you know, getting back to it, uh, it's such a beautiful thing that we can share all of this space, but that we still need to be very careful 
uh, about how, how close we're getting to each other. And the city is trying to clamp down a little bit on that. But, it, you know, to look at the positive of this year, right, there's so many people getting out there and enjoying their time with their families that um, I don't want to be like, kind of pessimistic or cynical about this. But, you know, when everything gets back to normal, whatever that looks like, I'm really going to miss seeing all that. Yeah. And I think that that's part of my question is this is a great thing to see, but what are we going to do about it? You know, is this going to be a change of the hearts and minds of parents? Because let's be honest, and maybe you're in this boat. We have gotten so busy as a society, especially here in the United States, uh, that we tend to devalue the importance of spending quality time, even if that means awkward pauses, boredom, anger, and frustration with each other, that, you know, we've thrown it out the door because of productivity. You know, we always have to feel like we're getting something done or we put more value in ourselves if we think we're getting something major done with work. And it's interesting because I was telling my husband this the other day, over the last couple of months, I've been praying a lot for a reawakening of um, spouses toward one another, but especially for parents to their children. Uh, we're seeing, you know, so many young people are being um, placated by technology, whether it's, you know, just have them watch TV, just get them that next iPod or Xbox or whatever it is that people are playing right now so that... We don't have to have the burden of them needing us so that we can do whatever we want, whether it be with me time or with work. And that's really sad. Yet all of a sudden with this coronavirus seen parents, I mean, I've seen multiple parents in the neighborhood just where I live riding bikes with their kids. And these are people I never see out and about with their kids. You know, I even hear my neighbors outside, neighbors with teenage kids and young children. I never hear them outside. And that's because, you know, we need this awakening of parents to their children in a very special way that must continue past this coronavirus. And so I think my question is, how do we continue to have that conversation? I'm looking to what the way that Jesus encountered people. That's that's the place I'm always going to start. And um, I'm really struck by the gospel from this last Sunday, where it was the healing of the man who was blind from birth. And I think it speaks so providentially into this situation we find ourselves in, where people are kind of having their, their eyes open and seeing how important family can be to them, or how, how important it is. And uh, the way that there's going to be a lot of healing brought to this thought that, you know, our worth comes from productivity. I am so sure that God is working through this. You know, and that question comes up. I mean, you just look at the beginning of that gospel when the disciples are asking Jesus, you know, who sinned that this man was born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus doesn't give an answer to that, but instead he says, well, he's, he does say it was neither of them. It was it was that the glory of God may be revealed, may be made visible through this blind man, which is the great irony, is that you know, we're going to see something through somebody who cannot see. And so I've become so sure that you know, we're asking that question, whose fault is all of this? Who do, whom can we blame? Uh, is this God's divine wrath coming on us, poor sinners? And you know, I'm not going to say it's not. But what's more important for us to ask right now is the perspective that Jesus turned it around mm. when they asked him that question was, it's so the glory of God could be made visible through this one who is who is blind but will be healed. And then it strikes me also that, you know, the blind man didn't ask to be healed, but Jesus did it anyway. And then he lost everything. He lost the care that he was getting as a blind beggar. He lost his parents, pretty much said he can speak for himself. 
And then he lost his community when he was kicked out of the synagogue. So Jesus healed him and he lost everything that he thought he had. And then all he had left was himself to give to Jesus. And so Jesus to give to others. And, it, you know, when Jesus heals us, sometimes he takes away everything that's not him so that all we have left is him. And so it's so beautiful to see this whole situation. Yes, with the struggling, with the suffering, I don't want to discount that. But I, I do want to point out that this can be a time of incredible healing and, you know, a healing that we didn't ask for and a healing that kind of takes everything away from us, but strips us down and gives us, you know, only Jesus and only the relationships that are most important to us. And so we can see the families just living the family life and enjoying each other's company and uh, and, and maybe bickering a little bit, you know, getting <laughs> a little too close, spending too much time together. But that's the reality of family life. And I don't know. It would almost be better that you know those little bickerings happen in the family because of quarantine rather than uh, no relationship and no communication happening at all because we've put all of our worth into our productivity. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. You can catch us at radiotrending.com. Again, that's radiotrending.com where you can subscribe so that you don't have to miss a single episode of Trending. Father Tim, I keep thinking about some comments that friends of mine have been making and I'm hearing a lot of chatter about. And it's coming from a lot of moms, moms who are saying, especially women who work outside of the home, um, that they're going, man, you know, it's giving me a bit of a feel of what it would be like to be, you know, to either work from home um, or to be a stay-at-home mom. And I hear some moms who are saying, I could never do this or I can't imagine it. Or I actually, although this has been really difficult, I'm enjoying it. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, there's so much to say here. And I think first that we need to encourage women, you know, you are good moms. There is so much good in you and there's always so much potential in every single one of us. And, you know, it may be really hard right now being in the context of being stuck at home and having all of your children home who are of school age. You know, it doesn't give a totally perfect view of what being a stay-at-home mom would be, Um, but it does pose a little bit of that idea of it can be done. But I think that two things. One is there has to be a level of getting to know each other and getting used to being around each other so much. I mean, that's definitely something you have to get used to, just like a married couple has to get used to things like that. Or you have to get used to a new roommate. Believe it or not, you'd kind of have to get used to your own kids. Yeah. I like to think that God places us in our families with people that we probably wouldn't love otherwise. And so he can almost have this uh, incentive, like this person is a part of who you are. And you may not like them, but this is God's incentive to you. You know, love this person, even if you want to consider them your enemy. Jesus didn't say don't have enemies. He said love them. He said he didn't say don't have rivalries in your family. He said there might even be division in your family, but that the love is going to be something that that fights through that is more is, that is stronger than that. And and that's something I like to do whenever uh, mothers do come to me, wh- whatever context it might be in whether it's uh, confession or, or counseling or spiritual direction or, or um, just to share about their family, like one of the first things I will say is just thank you for your vocation as a mother. You know, I don't think mothers get to hear that enough. Um, and that it's, it's something that, that needs to be heard, that wants to be heard, and an encouragement that you, know, you don't have to be perfect to be a good mother. I go back to, I think it was Chesterton who said that you know, if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, it, it doesn't mean strive for mediocrity, but it means that if you can't reach that level of perfection, don't give up. And that mm-hmm. you know, being a mother is so worth it. 
And that if you're going to do it you know, poorly, keep doing it. It's worth doing, even if you can't be the perfect, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of, of the good, right? Yes. And so that, you know, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to any vocation, you're not going to be perfect at it. So it's worth doing anyways. So um, if anything's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And, you know, so I'm not going to tell a mom that she's doing poorly, so keep it up. But just to be encouraged and to know that if you think you can't do this right now, um, the idea of a mom being alone at home with her kids um, with no support at all from the rest of the family is kind of a relatively modern idea and it's, and it's crushing people. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, to, to let moms reach out and to build community among themselves is one of the most beautiful things that can happen right now with um, the accessibility we have to the technology to reach out to other people and to build community through that. Let's just keep encouraging mothers and thanking them for their vocation. That's why it's so important to remember that friendship and family are so fundamental to have that support of one another for what you need in day to day. But I keep coming back to what you said, Father Tim, about productivity and how we place so much of our value in productivity. And I think of this for so many men and women. Men think that unless they're able to provide, unless they're able to kind of give those gifts and give those things in the home that maybe various people, whether it's their kids or their spouse, really want, um, that their value isn't very high. And if they're not meeting every expectation, they tend to devalue themselves. Or maybe you're finding you're in the midst of a current layoff, a temporary or permanent layoff right now, uh, and you think you have no value. That's not true. You have value just based on the fact of who you are. And the reality is, is that God gave us two hands to work with. And even if that means being creative at times, it's so important to be open to that. But on another perspective, this idea of productivity, especially for women, we think that we have no value if we're in the home. We as women tend to think that we are only valuable outside of the realm the home or that we have more value outside of the home or that it's more fun to do things outside of the home, that we feel better about ourselves. And I just really want to challenge women. Those are all great things. The contributions that women are making to society are phenomenal, but we can't forget that there is incredible value to the gift of parenthood and the gift that your parenthood and your time and love gives to a child. And that becomes a really important part of discerning, you know, whether a mom should be at home with her children or if the family genuinely is in need of uh, her support as well, uh, working outside of the home. That This is a question that needs to be asked of God, not just of practicality, which is important, but asking God, you know, will you provide you know, the job I need to support this family who is, you know, who is in need of my support as well? Or will you be asking the question of, like, God, will you provide for us? even though I'm not able to um, support by, by working outside the home. And you know, we, we may approach this only from the level of practicality, which again is important, without even bringing God into the conversation and giving Him the permission to, uh, to provide for our needs, to, um, to speak into that situation and say, um, you may have to sacrifice something, but I want you to be home with your children. Um, you know, both mother and father perhaps need to ask that question. And if that question is not being asked, then um, somebody's very important perspective is being left out of that marriage and out of that family. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Father Tim, I want to get a little bit of your perspective on this kind of 
barring the doors of some churches and some dioceses, or maybe it's that there's no communion that's accessible, or maybe that's there's no mass even accessible, depending on where you're at. I know some dioceses have even limited anointing of the sick unless it's a deathbed situation, and same with reconciliation. What's the pulse from the perspective of a priest on what's going on right now because of the coronavirus? Well, the pulse about this is that there are a lot of people with a lot of different opinions, and it can get pretty ugly when the conversation begins. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think we can approach this this topic and just this situation without obedience underlying all of it, and understanding obedience in a healthy way. Um, some people have called for us to kind of fight back against our bishops and to celebrate Mass anyways, or called the bishops to fight back against the uh, the government orders and have their priests celebrate Mass anyways. And almost nobody, um, I don't want to say almost nobody, but it seems like almost nobody is asking the question of, is it the bishops who are uh, suspending the Mass and, and making it so that the faithful can't come to the Eucharist as often as they do? Or is this actually a work of God, and they're being obedient in their prayer to protecting the elderly and the vulnerable are, uh, among us, that um, looking in the way that God has taken away the certain forms of worship from his people in the past, looking at the Old Testament, um, looking at some of his promises, even in the book of Revelation, um, and other moments in the New Testament where Jesus is prophesying the end of the, the temple structure and system. And what is something like this, in the light of those situations in Scripture, how do we understand um, that maybe this is um, you know, our obedience to God to um, be without the sacrament for some time? And so that's a a difficult question that uh, you know I could speak on hours for, but I think it all comes down to an, an act of obedience uh, that asks us to make a tremendous sacrifice, but always trusting that God never leaves us without what we need for as a means of salvation. Um, as far as the practicals, the specifics, uh, here in Los Angeles, we have our specifics. I've talked to priest friends in other dioceses, and, and no two dioceses are the same, and that's really frustrating here in the United States, is that um, we, we wish it was kind of more of a united front so that we could um, all be working together in the same way on this. But I have one priest friend in another diocese uh, that they have canceled all weddings, funerals, baptisms. Uh, just today they announced that they're canceling all confessions. And that's mm-hmm. a really painful thing to hear. And I can argue a whole bunch of ways for how I don't think that's a good idea. But to receive that in obedience is a difficult thing But I'm trusting that um, obedience, even to the point of sacrificing um, our accessibility to the sacraments, difficult as this is to hear, that that obedience will win more souls than trying to force or go underground uh, with the sacraments at this moment. And underground, I mean, you know, secret masses. You know, I was, you know, really thinking about having a mass at my parents' place just the other night, but um, just God kept putting it on my heart as an act of obedience just to um, sacrifice that. And that, I think, hurts me as much as it would hurt my parents or anybody else that would you know, maybe would have been there, is that we want to be present to the sacraments together. And when we can't, you know, that, you know, I almost think of that as taking away my priesthood. Like, I, there's something really missing from my priesthood if I can't do things like that. But God is trying to reveal to me that that's not what defines my priesthood. And to be a heroic priest doesn't necessarily mean going out and being everywhere and breaking the rules and going underground, 
at least at this moment, in this situation. But it means sitting still a little bit more and feeling the hunger for the Eucharist along with my people. And I don't like that. But I'm so sure in my prayer, and I've received so much consolation about that, that I think that's where we're really at. And um, as far as our specifics here in Los Angeles, we're still celebrating weddings that have already been uh, scheduled if the couple wants to be married with less than 10 people present. Um, I've had a couple of um, parishioners and, and people who are very dear to me in my life pass over the last couple of weeks. And um, it's really difficult to know that we can't offer them the funerals that they deserve, uh, the sized funerals that they deserve, where the church is just kind of overflowing. But um, we can still celebrate a graveside where we you know, commend their, their souls to God and their bodies to the earth so that they might be ready to come back together when God uh, desires to renew all of creation. Um, we're still hearing confessions, but just from a safe distance. So there's so much going on, and it's so different all throughout the country. But you know, from my perspective, I just think the most important word right now is obedience, not a, a fatalistic mm-hmm. lying down and not fighting against this situation, but a trusting that God still has in store for us everything that we need for salvation. And there's going to be a renewal in the practice of spiritual communion. There's going to be a renewal in the hunger for the Eucharist going to be a renewal in the priest's desire to have people at Mass with us. You know, another priest friend of mine said he was tearing up at Mass the other day when he said, blessed are those who are called to the Supper of the Lamb, and no one could respond, uh-huh. and no one who, who were called to the Supper of the Lamb could be there. Yeah. And so this is, this is hurting us. Mm-hmm. We're not sitting on the inside of some mansion, you know, feasting while, people are, while, the, while you poor faithful are outside well, longing to come in. This is not easy for any of us. But as an act of obedience, we trust that God is going to win many souls during this time um, because of the sacrifices that we're making. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Follow me on Instagram. You can find me at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where I'll be sure to link to Father Tim Grumbach as well so you can catch him on social media. Father Tim, one of the things that has been standing out to me about the unfortunate decision um, to decrease access to the sacraments has been specifically, you know, I wonder if our bishops are very, very concerned, especially given the state in Italy um, about our elderly priests. The reality of it is that we have not had a huge, vast overabundance of young vocations. Most of our priests are older, and that's especially the case in parts of Europe, especially Italy. And they have seen there in Italy, last I saw the numbers, and I know this is changing every every day, there were somewhere around 30 priests just in Italy alone that had died. And so this uh, kind of crisis of the plague of the coronavirus, we know does impact the elderly. And so I imagine much of the decision to, you know, decrease the access to the sacraments, though temporary, um, is for the sake of preserving our priests so that they continue to serve and give those sacraments to the faithful. Yeah, we have a, a couple of retired priests here at the parish with us, and the pastor made the difficult decision of asking them not to help out with confessions this last week. And so that you know decreases our ability to provide the sacrament by half right now. Um, but it's for their safety um, uh, to, to prevent any possibility of their getting infected, um, you know, not just with coronavirus, but with other, you know, other sicknesses that are going around as well, but especially because of coronavirus. And so, um, you know, this, you know, that point, you know, I, I think you mentioned, um, you know, uh, the latest numbers, you know, about 60 priests have died in Italy from mm-hmm. the coronavirus over mm-hmm. the last few weeks. And 
Um, that's a, a, a frightening stat to see, but they acknowledge that most of them are over 70 years old or had other right. underlying medical complications. And so, um, you know, a lot could be said about that, but, um, you know, we're seeing that, that beautiful story about the, 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 the priest who was in the seventies who we'll come um, you know, to that gave up his bit. opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Gave up his opportunity. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we'll come to that, but you know, all of this reminds me, you know, with some of my free time that I've had now, I've been watching a lot of opera and there's a, a beautiful opera about the Carmelites during the uh, French revolution. It's called the Neologue des Carmelites. And, um, well, one of the lines that struck me so much was that when we have too few priests, we have many martyrs and therefore the balance of grace is restored. And so let's enter into this time in, in obedience and in a martyrdom of sorts to be away from the sacrament but to trust that God is not bound to the sacraments as we are. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. People are fleeing California in droves. And you may wonder, why are we talking about this right now as everything's going on with the coronavirus? But I think it's actually pretty relevant to what we're seeing in the culture. Um, we're seeing that here in the state of California that people can't afford to live here. Uh, the taxes are high. The gas prices are high. I mean, goodness, the gas tax alone over the last year and how it has been implemented has been really hurting people. And there's this video titled Fleeing California by Prager University. And it talks about how, in fact, over 50% of Americans are actually, or sorry, 50% of Californians are considering leaving California. Father Tim Grumbach of St. Augustine Parish is here with me on Trending. Father Tim, one of the things that stands out to me is that I think a lot of people, because of the cost of living and everything that's been taking place here in California, are actually in many ways living beyond their means. And it's interesting because when they move somewhere like Texas, for example, because a lot of people going to Texas are from California, they notice that their kind of cost of living and their quality of life increases about 50% almost because the cost of living is so different. And so from a Catholic perspective, I want to hear your thoughts because I do think that this touches on, you know, having self-control in terms of how we live our life. It touches on self-control and how we're living our life, but I really think it also touches on our listening to where God wants us to be at that moment. I've got some very good friends who are here in Los Angeles and feel that they've been called by God to be here in Los Angeles at this right. moment in the history of Los Angeles. You know, not like they're, they've come here to save Los Angeles or whatnot, but they've, you know, they've kind of fought against it. Is you know, it, in deep prayer and and discernment of their vocation with their families, like God, is this really where you want me to be right now? But we're also growing in our conviction that this is where God wants us to be right now because something really important is going to happen here in Los Angeles in the church and in the faith that's going to reverberate around the world and echo throughout the rest of the state, the country, the world. So definitely has to be considered, are we living beyond our means, but also 
is God going to provide for the means that we do need in order to live where he wants us to live? Father Tim, that is an incredible perspective. And I think that's so important because I can really relate to that. My husband and I have talked many times since dating, since being married, and even, you know, bringing our families into the conversation. You know, I don't know that it's practical to raise a family necessarily in California, given, you know, the state of various legislation and parental rights and also just the cost of living. Um, But at the same time, I can tell you that at this point in history, This is where we're called to be. And I always think of it as I have learned with so much of the work that I've done because I've worked for Catholic nonprofits. I have, you know, volunteered my time and most of the hours in my day for years to Catholic nonprofits. And so I have lived in many ways the life of a missionary. And I've been blessed with housing in certain areas to be able to continue to be involved in this mission. And I bring this up because it's always been important for me to be able to survive by living prudently by making sure that I'm not spending beyond my means, by, you know, making sure that, you know, yes, there are a lot of things that are maybe luxuries that I'd like and would enjoy, but I'm actually content and blessed to have what I have. And I think that that's one of the things that, especially in an American type of culture, we're always kind of thinking about that next thing we want to get. And, you know, it's one thing after another. And next thing you know, you know, credit card debt, student loans, all of these things build up so easily that we find ourselves in utter chaos at times, just in terms of how we're living the day to day. Right. And I'm not going to pretend to really know anything about economics and and the, the businesses here in California. But I understand, too, that it's not just individuals who are fleeing California, but businesses mm. as well. Uh, you know, it becomes more and more difficult to run a business you know, and, and, and for large corporations and everything like that. I you know, remember uh, I've got a friend who uh, works for a, a large corporation here in, in California and, and over the last couple of years is really considering uh, moving with that company out of state because that, that company didn't want to be here anymore. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if the reasons why that company wanted to leave are just reasons or whatnot, but it's still something that's happening here in California on uh, the individual scale within families, but also at the, the macro scale when we're looking at, uh, at businesses and corporations. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I think another perspective to throw into this whole conversation, and there's so many that we could touch on, is you you mentioned the cost of doing business just for basic companies. I mean, they have been fleeing California in order to continue to operate. I mean, we're hearing from small businesses who are saying their employees who are part-time and who, you know, are utilizing part-time work are making, you know, very good salaries considering the part-time work, few hours. I mean, they're making salaries as high as, you know, 40 and 50,000 a year for just part-time work while the owners themselves aren't making a profit at the end of the year in their businesses and they're just keeping their heads above the waters. Uh, you know, this is unfortunately part of the challenges of the laws in California and it makes you kind of question them a little bit. You know, it makes you question, you know, what do we have front and center? Do we have the dignity of all workers, both business owners and those working under them? Or do we have this attitude that, well, everyone should have this fair amount of money and that's what would allow things to work? The reality is, is that the California experiment hasn't been working, unfortunately. And we're seeing more people on welfare here in the United States. We spend more money on welfare than many of the other states in the United States combined, in fact. Yeah. And I'm not going to um, pretend to know more of this than what I'm saying right now, but also 
the question has to come up as are we striving for an, an equality of opportunity or an equality of outcome and which one is more just and how are we caring for one another at, at the individual level or expecting the government to to care for people that we can care for ourselves and really uh, diving into that Catholic principle of subsidiarity where you know the, the lowest level of the government, whether that be the family itself as a, a basic building block of society, can care for those rather mm-hmm. than just putting the expectations onto the government to right. take care of you know their, their neighbor while they have the means to do so as well. And this is actually a really important point that you just brought up because subsidiarity in you know secular terms is different than what the church teaches on subsidiarity and you know it, the subsidiarity the church actually has something to say about the way governments function and as father tim just said the church actually emphasizes that local small communities not just local governments but all the way down to a local parish a local town a local family helps to care for and take responsibility for those in their community so that we don't need this major dependence on government so that there's not this infringement from the government, but ultimately so that charity might abound in the culture. And, you know, I bring it back even to the perspective of the families you just mentioned, Father Tim, you know, if we see this crisis, people are living in California because it's not livable anymore. Well, what about families who, you know, we're called to raise our own children. We're called to be present to one another, to have this vivacious life in the faith. Again, we talked earlier about this idea of how productivity is getting in the way of maybe quality time, family time, family responsibilities. Maybe again, and coming back to this cost of living, that's why we're having a hard time meeting the responsibilities within our home, and we're feeling so guilty and frustrated about it. Right, right. And so this time is a, a time to recognize, have we idolized our economy, our finances, uh, the expectations we have from our government? And if God is going to be stripping away those idols from us, what does it look like moving forward? Uh, so much of the talk on you know social media, at least that's you know, the perspective I'm finding it from, is over the last couple of days of you know, what is our government doing to create some kind of um, economic stimulus, financial mm-hmm. stimulus here in the United States during this time. And, and without getting into too much detail on, on uh, either side of that, uh, the big concern for a lot of people is, um, are, are we willing to let people die for the sake of our economy? Um, or are, are we um, being overly cautious and are we going to suffer in the long run because of the decisions uh, and the precautions that we've made. And so I'm not going to uh, try to take either side at the moment right now, but I think you know, reflecting on both of those sides is really important and not always done uh, most efficiently, the reflecting of it, uh, through social media and argumentation. But the Catholic Church recognizing the dignity of every single uh, working person, every single person, mm-hmm. but uh, even in the, the work that they do, that it's not a matter of keeping the economy alive, it's not a matter of productivity that gives value to a person, but it is how we are created, the image and the likeness of God, that we can care for one another. And that's something that needs to be at the forefront that is often um, not in the conversation politically. 
That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. As we're talking about the dignity and value of the worker, uh, one of the things that I really want to put on the hearts of people to consider, I have been reading through Father Donald Calloway's new book, Consecration to St. Joseph. In fact, if you didn't catch the interview, I interviewed him just this past week when I was filling in for Father Matthew Spencer on Relevant Radio. You can catch it on the, the podcast at radiotrending.com. But we're talking about St. Joseph and how this is the moment to turn to St. Joseph. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you are temporarily out of work, you know, whether it's a temporary um, furlough, things such as, um, you know, these layoffs that so many people are seeing. Maybe that's where you're at. This is the moment where we need to entrust ourselves to the care of St. Joseph and the providence and gifts of God. And so maybe you can consider beginning on March 30th, running through to May 1st, the next consecration group of people consecrating themselves to St. Joseph will occur. It's a series of prayers that will take between maybe 10 and 25 minutes per day. I really want you to consider making that consecration to St. Joseph and really entrust whatever crisis or um, struggle you are facing right now to him. You can find out more about that and order the book at consecrationtostjoseph.com. Again, consecrationtostjoseph.com. And we'll be sure to post links about that as well. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. Listening to Trending with Timory. I have resources for you. You're quarantined, you're stuck at home, you're driving each other crazy. Maybe you're experiencing a little more temptation while you're at home. Maybe certain bad habits or vices are coming up that you need to overcome. Or maybe you just feel like you haven't quite hit that routine. I can tell you the first week of both my husband and I working from home um, was definitely a little bit of an adjustment. And it took us some time to get back into our routine, making sure exercise, sleep, and food were all where they ought to be. So I want to encourage you to head over to radiotrending.com because all of our last few episodes have specifically been dedicated to this. Whether it's helping you thrive during your quarantine, enjoy time with your family, helping you to resolve resolve conflict and get along. We have a marriage and family therapist who joins us to talk about that when we're in close quarters. And he helps us talk about how to overcome some of those temptations we're facing while we have extra downtime. Father Tim Grumbach is here with me. We'll be talking in just a second about a heroic priest who sacrificed his life. First, a message about our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for quality, affordable health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You get to choose the doctors who you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Father Tim, there's a 72-year-old priest who we've received word has died amidst this COVID-19 crisis. But how incredible the story goes that he ended up giving access to a ventilator to another younger patient. And as a result, this priest in Italy died from the coronavirus. Tell us a little bit more about this. 
Father Giuseppe Berardelli, uh, 72 years old, uh, you know, in Italy, where a place of um, almost, uh, I think it's 60 or 70 priests have, have died, and so many of them are in that older age range, and so are a little bit more vulnerable to the effects of COVID-19. And the story goes that, you know, his parishioners had provided this for him, had used their own resources so that he could have a, a ventilator in order to help him uh, to get through this illness. But because the hospitals are so overwhelmed in that part of Italy, that it was such a precious resource that he gave up the opportunity to use that for his own health to someone who was younger. And we've seen stories like this throughout our history as, as a church. And from the very beginning, when Jesus says, you know, no one has any greater love than this than to give their life for their friend, that, you know, we can see that uh, reflected in this, this, this beautiful act of, of sacrifice, but that we know it's not something that he just kind of came up with at the moment, that he said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do this because it seems like the good thing to do. You know, it, from all accounts, this priest lived a life like that, that this was just the, the culmination of a, a life of, of sacrifice. But, you know, it's certainly easy to turn this man into a saint right away, and uh, praise God if he will be one day recognized as that. But, you know, it's a, a real look into the dangers that our, you know, that our priests are facing. I'm still relatively young and healthy, and I don't have to be afraid of the disease as much as other people might be. But I'm almost, I'm working under the thought that uh, I have it, you know? I'm pretty sure I don't, really quite sure that I don't. But I have to make every interaction with my elderly parishioners, with those who have other underlying medical histories that I need to be as careful as possible and act as if I have the, I am infected so that just in case I am, that the precautions are taken. And so to see the sacrifices that, uh, that other priests are taking, and, and I can you know, say that those that I'm making, you know, I, I haven't gone to see my parents in quite a little bit of time now. And that, that hurts me, but I, you know, they kind of laugh at that, like, oh, no, you'll be fine. You can come and see us. But I, I want to take that precaution because I don't want to make a mistake that mm. uh, I won't know until it's too late. Right. And, and especially so see, um, especially yeah. you as a priest, though, Father Tim, you're giving anointing of the sick and you're engaging with other people. Yeah. You do have to. Be, you're one of those people who really does need to be more careful because of who you will be around right. and have been around already. Yeah. And so one of the uh, examples or that uh, the analogies that has been made for uh, for Father Giuseppe is that of the, the great Polish martyr, St. Mm. Maximilian Kolbe. Mm -hmm. Very different situations. I know that Father Giuseppe wasn't facing a, a, a death squad from the Nazis, that's for sure, but he was facing a, a very difficult situation where someone was offering him out of their generosity, uh, perhaps a way to survive. We don't know anything else about his medical history, I don't think. so. But he was still able to make that, that very difficult decision because as a priest, uh, hopefully all of us priests understand this, is that the sacrifice of the Mass is not the only place that we make sacrifices in our lives. It is the culmination, the source, and the summit of every other sacrifice. Everything else that we do in our lives is an altar where we make sacrifice for God's people. Some of us laugh about it, like, you know, my favorite altar of sacrifice is my bed, where I lie down at the end of the day and say, well, I can't be productive anymore, so I sacrifice that desire to be productive on going to sleep. And just to know that every other moment in our lives can be an altar of sacrifice, and it all culminates in the sacrifice of the Eucharist on the altar, but then ultimately an act like this. And so before getting ahead of ourselves and naming this man a saint, we can look to what he has done and be inspired by it ourselves and 
trust that you know God made this known to inspire in us to be more like Jesus. Not necessarily to be more like this priest, but to be more like Jesus, and to see in this priest uh, Jesus still working in the world. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Thanks for listening here on Relevant Radio. You can follow me on Instagram at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where I'll also be posting the links on Twitter about some of the various topics we've been discussing. And be sure to join Relevant Radio in the Prayer versus Pandemic campaign. It's actually really incredible. You can look online at relevantradio.com where we have this map and it shows all the people worldwide who are praying and continuing to sign up to pray for an end to this pandemic of the coronavirus while you also see the cases of people who have the coronavirus. And so very quickly, we're getting those numbers up so that you can see there are more people praying across the world for an end to the financial hardship, the health hardship, and so much of what we're seeing right now in the culture. Father Tim, when we were talking about the sacrifice that Father Giuseppe made in giving his ventilator to another younger patient, which ultimately ended up helping to save the life of him, but he gave his life in doing this. It made me think of the priestly role that, yes, our priests are called to, but priests are ultimately called to make sacrifices, as you mentioned. But we are all called to be priest, prophet, and king and have that dimension to who we are. And how is this relevant for us and being more in tune with the fact that we are called to daily make sacrifices on the altar to God? And it may not be, you know, a big financial sacrifice necessarily, even though our churches are going to be hurting through this as well. Um, but the sacrifice of who we are and what we do. Yeah, it comes down to that the, the altar of the Mass is the source and the summit of our Christian life, but it, it is the source and the summit of all the altars of our lives, mm. is that every little sacrifice that we, we can make becomes a little Eucharistic moment if we let God receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we hold on to these little things, it's like, you know, even a sacrifice made out of pride or made out of kind of utility, mm. that can be given to God, but if we can hold that back to ourselves so that uh, every little sacrifice we make uh, in our families, uh, you know, the sacrifice of forgiveness, uh, the sacrifice of mercy. You know, these are not easy things to do, and Jesus knows that better than we do. You know, he went to the altar of the cross, and instead of just snapping his fingers and saying, you're forgiven, he went to the cross, which became an altar, a place of worship. And so every little sacrifice we make becomes a prayer, becomes an act of worship because of what Christ did on the cross. And so for our daily lives as baptized Christians, you know, we can access the power that comes with that of you know, offering these little sacrifices. You know, we'll laugh about, you know, just offer it up, offer it up. And uh, some people will say that that's kind of an, an, an old theology, an old ecclesiology, an old way of doing things. But we've never needed it more now than ever when uh, you know, the, the vast, vast, vast majority of the faithful cannot come to the Eucharistic altar. There have to be other altars. And I don't mean there has to be an altar in your house that looks, you know, where that has candles and you can incense and and everything like that, beautiful as that may be, but that's something that can stay on the surface. But when you've created altars in your heart, uh, you know, some of my favorite saints speak about having tabernacles in your heart so that the Eucharistic presence of Christ can always be within you um, in a spiritual communion, even when you can't come to the altar and be present to the real presence of the Eucharist. And so baptized as priests, prophets, and kings, every one of us um, have access 
to the sacrifices becoming a part of the worship Christ gave on the cross. Amen. And I keep thinking about what you're saying. And, you know, you may not be able to go to Mass right now and practice this and remember it. But when you do go back to Mass, when that time comes for all of us, remember that moment of the offertory. It's not just about the basket being passed around and money being placed into it. The tradition goes much deeper and is much richer than that. It's ultimately about us laying down everything we have and giving it to God, our heavenly father. So it's not just a matter of supporting the church. It's that we are giving everything and laying it down on the altar. So when you see that procession of the water and wine and the unconsecrated hosts that enter up to the altar, those are our sacrifices that we give to God, laying it all on the altar. And we are called to make that sacrifice every single day in our life, even if it's difficult, even if it calls us to that very last breath of our life. But this is what we're talking about when we talk about no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for another. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes.